Welcome to Noble Warriors. This is a place where entrepreneurs talk about what it takes to build purpose-driven organizations. We're going to talk about mindset. We're going to talk about mental models. We're going to talk about actionable tactics such that you can take whatever you learned here and go build your purpose-driven organization. My name is CK Lin, biomedical engineering, UCLA PhD, turn uh, startup executive, that turn executive coach, helping entrepreneurs focusing on their mindset and culture. My next guest has been a part of 30 startups. He started a dozen of his own. He is a top affiliate for Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi, a founding member of the Knowledge Broker Blueprint. He's also the author of the Eight Minute Mastermind book. Please welcome Brad Hart. Hey, everybody. What's going on? Thanks so much for having me, CK, and welcome everybody on the live. And if you're watching us on the replay, don't forget hashtag replay and let us know that you're out there watching. I just want to make a minor correction. I've been a part of 30 masterminds. I've been a part of a lot of startups too, though. People build hundreds of masterminds are really my jam, but sorry about that. I just wanted to be like, this guy's going to be Tim Ferriss coming up, but no, we're going to talk about the masterminding. <laughs> we're going to talk about some mindset. I used to run a hedge fund. We could talk about money. We could talk about a lot of different things, but I would love for you to tee us off and, you know, spin me up like a top and let's get rolling. Yeah, let's do that. So for those people who are not familiar with the term mastermind, why don't we actually define that first for those people that don't know? Sure. So masterminds are not new, although the interest in them has gotten really big in the last few years. Masterminds are groups of people that come together that have similar vision, goals, mindset, and they really want to move forward in their lives. And it's kind of like having a, a support group, but with action and accountability. So it's like taking all of the best of everybody's connections, resources, opportunities, systems, whatever they have, and bringing them together to help solve each other's challenges and move them forward faster. Typically, they're groups of eight to 10 people. I've seen them as large as 50, 100, 150. They tend to get a little unwieldy after 100 people. But then again, you can create masterminds up to 2,000 people if you break people into smaller groups and you have a way to, to do that. So like I said, I've been, I've been doing them for like a dozen years now. I've been a part of a lot of them. And I've seen what works and what doesn't. And when they work really well, it's like one plus one equals 11. It's just incredible insights. It saves you a lot of time, can make you a lot of money and the right person, the right deal, the right connection at the right time. Hold on all the, those things. I'm going to ask you more specifically sure. uh, what, what those specific things are. So how did you get into masterminds in the first place? Yeah. So the backstory is when I was a real estate agent in New York, I happened to be at lunch one day and I was uh, going to the gym. I used to go to the gym on my lunch hour. And I'm in this place on Cooper Square. It's in New York City. I used to work on Mercer Street. So I walk over to Cooper Square and I go to the gym there, the New York Health and Racquet Club. And I'm the only guy in there. And then this guy walks by me who's going to get his workout on and he's bald. And I'm like, that kind of look, guy looked you know, familiar. I'm trying not to look at him, but I'm also trying to like see if I know who he was. And it's Tim Ferriss. And at this oh, point, he hadn't written, yeah, he hadn't written any of his books or anything. Really, it was just the four hour work week. So he wasn't like the 800 pound gorilla of media and marketing that he is today, but he was uh, very deferential, very cool. I'm like, dude, I read your book like six times. It's totally changed my life. Thank you for that. And we chatted for like 15 minutes. We're both from Long Island. And at the end, he was like, hey, man, I hope we see each other again at some point. And I'm like, yeah, really nice guy, right? It's sometimes it's really great to meet your heroes. So a couple of years later, he drops the four hour body. And he had this thing where you could go on a trip with him if you bought a certain number of books. He, he called it the land rush. It was like all these giveaways and prizes. Back when you used to be able to like game the, the rankings on the New York Times bestseller list if you bought a thousand books or whatever. So I bought a bunch of books. I donate most of them to charity. I took a hundred copies in physical delivery and I get to my house one day and there's literally boxes that covered the whole front of my garage. And the FedEx guy is like pissed and like shaking his fist at me. I'm like, oh my God, because they're like 700 page books. You can knock somebody out. I'm pretty sure I still have a box of them somewhere in my house. So I meet Tim. Two years later, I buy the books and I go to Africa with him. So I spent 10 days in Africa with Tim and nobody else went on the trip, but I got to spend time with him and, and Charlie Hone, who now works at Scribe with Tucker Max and a bunch of really great people. We did some charity work while we were over there and and just got a sense of like who this person was. So at, at that time, he's, you know, introducing me to people and, and interviewing me and like, hey, what do I want? To, what do I want to do in my life? I'm like 24 at this point. And I told him, he says, what you should do, you should go to North Korea. My friend's running a trip there. And I think it'd be really cool if you went. I'm like, why do I want to go to North Korea? He's like, oh, I think it'd be good for you. I'm like, are you going to North Korea? He's like, nope. <laughs> like, why do I want to go? 
<laughs> like, who's your friend? He's like, I can't tell you. Like, this is going nowhere. I'm not going to North Korea. I'm just telling your whim. It turned out that his friend was Neil Strauss, and he was mm -hmm. running a mastermind group to North Korea. And he had just gotten back. It was like the first trip. And he figured he wanted to go somewhere that nobody could go, right? Like the president can't even go there. So when they got back, I got an email from his list because I was on his list too. And they said, yeah, we went just we just went to North Korea on this mastermind group. What, what the hell is a mastermind group? So I call up and I ended up joining this group called The Society. And I was in for like three years. And it was the first time I'd ever been around like people who were really figuring it out and successful seven, eight, nine figure earners, people that had really done big things in their lives. And I was a young kid still, and it just really opened my eyes to what the world and what life could be. So we got to do a bunch of cool stuff, like learn how to pick locks and break out of handcuffs and, and zip ties. And like we got hooded and handcuffed and waterboarded and like learned all this Jane, Jason Bourne stunt driving stuff. It was really awesome. And it, it really helped me go deeper into my own personal development. So that was kind of how it started. And then I started running masterminds around the time I got into Tony Robbins. So about... Well, before, be, later, be, sure. Hold on, run. So... You spend 10 days with Tim Ferriss. I did. Right? And, then, yeah. and then for a lot of people, especially people who are listening to, to, to this podcast, chances are they're a fan as well, right? Because he's someone who embodies that uh, curiosity and learning spirit who puts himself as a, as a human guinea pig, as he calls right. himself, right? So in the 10 days, what are some of the things that's non-obvious during the the time that you guys spent together that you're like, oh, wow, he's, he's the real deal. And here's something I learned from him, what to sure. do, or perhaps maybe even what not to do. So this is going back 11, 12 years. So uh, my memory might be a little fuzzy on some of the points, but some of the things that stick out are how much you read. Like anytime you wouldn't be talking to him or he wasn't talking to anybody, he'd have his nose in a book and he took a lot of notes. So a voracious reader, that was one thing. Another thing was just how detailed his questions were. Like, he's just a great question asker. Like, he just really wants to go deep. And when he finds out that you don't know anymore, there's no more questions. It's, it felt like there was just like this, this air between like, because I'm a 24-year-old kid, he's this really successful guy. That was a little bit challenging for me because I like, I felt like I was on the spot sometimes. <laughs> and then I got malaria on that trip. I got really sick. Mm. towards the end so my my memory is a little bit fuzzy from that too and just being in africa generally it was very hot and a lot going on but like we had some fun experiences like we got to play golf with the president and general of kenya they were playing behind us and they like were yelling at us in swahili because we weren't fast enough we didn't know what the hell we were doing <laughs> we had to wear these like ridiculous pants that tim made me had me bark because i didn't bring any pants and you had to wear pants on the golf course so i was wearing tim's like blue bonobo pants that stuck out like a sore thumb and we're the only white guys for like 50 miles. <laughs> it's really funny, <laughs> the scene that we got into. But I think generally what I learned from Tim is that when you have an expectation of what somebody's going to be like, and like he had no desire to keep up with me or be my friend after that. And he made that very clear. I was like, that kind of hurt because I wasn't going to try to be your best buddy, but it would have been nice for us to part on good terms. And even like I've, I've forgiven him for it, but it just didn't feel good at that time. Like I wouldn't treat anybody like that. So that was something I learned is like, when somebody's really investing to spend time with you, at least make them feel like, you know, you don't have to be your equal, but at least like that they're a human being. And mm -hmm. uh, and I feel like for all the gifts that Tim has that saved your life, you, you really wasn't that well dialed into personal stuff or there's something else going on there. Who knows, right? I don't, I don't know him personally. I just met him that one time and spent 10 days with him. And then we bumped into each other a few times over the years, but he made it really clear that he didn't want to be friends. So I was like, okay, cool. But I was hurt at the time. I'll be real. Yeah, of course. Mm, I appreciate that. Thanks for sharing that story. So how, how, let's see, what, what can I take it? Reflect on, on that personally. I, I would say that I used to be someone who is like that as well when I was younger. And I would say hindsight, those are not part, uh, part of my, my proudest moments, shall we say. Mm -hmm. and, and especially doing any kind of ceremonial type work when kind of like long retreats, those are the moments that actually show up like, oh, okay. So now here's what's it like to receive what you said on the other side. Mm -hmm. and, and then for me, it was very humanizing, very humbling, very, and then that actually helps me get a little bit more compassionate uh, towards myself as well as towards others. Yeah. And without him, I would have never been introduced to all the, like he taught me how to swim. <laughs> like I read his book, his, his part about swimming. Without him, I would have never discovered masterminds. I would have never fell into Neil's circle. And I, I get now as a much older man where his head was at when he said that. But at the same time, it, it, I felt like it could have been handled better. Like that would be my feedback. So yeah, um, yeah, I totally get it. And I, I understand. And 
it made me less of a sycophant like because i used to really mm. like look up to these guys and then i realized well they're just people with their own problems and i don't really need yeah. to to suck up to anybody i just need to be the best version of me so that actually kicked that's me right. off the direction that's right. a lot of no that's great that, that's a that's a great lesson because uh, we're all human I, yeah. I think it's easy to look at some of these people with great uh, accomplishments whatever and say they're demigod levels and they don't they don't have their own problems or they don't put on uh, their pants one leg at a time. So, to yeah, speak. Well, And then that old saying comes back full circle. It's like people forget what you say. They'll forget what you did. They'll never forget how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. A decade later, I still remember how that felt. I don't even remember the context of all the conversations or why it came up. It doesn't matter, but mm -hmm. it's interesting to remember. So like, I just try to be sweet to people as best I can. And I have a temper. I'll just be real, mm -hmm. you know, being vulnerable. Like I'm a child of an alcoholic. I've mm -hmm. struggled myself. A lot of anger issues that I've worked through over the years. And when I'm under-resourced, I can get snippy with people, mm -hmm. uh, especially if I feel like they're being aggressive towards me. Like I, I'm a very protective energy about that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like the sweetest guy you'll meet, but you push me over the edge, I'll get nasty. And I have to notice that about myself because people, you can't take anything personally. People are at where they're at. It's nothing about you or mm -hmm. like 99% about them. That's another piece that I think is really important to understand. So I hope that's what you're looking for as far as a thorough, vulnerable, authentic answer. But yep. I, I totally appreciate that. So, well, let's talk about Neil Strauss for, 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 for a bit. What's sure. what you say you've been in the society for three years. Yep, I did that for three years. I got to be pretty close with Neil. I still chat with him here and there on text and stuff like that. We got to travel the Inca trail over the course of four days together. So that was really fun. And it was supposed to be a group of eight people. Five did not show up on the day of, wow. and the guy that came with us spoke English as a second language. He was mostly French. So it was a challenge for him to communicate, and we mostly just spent time with each other. It was really interesting how that wow. all worked out. Yeah, so Neil, I credit as being one of my early mentors, really great guy. Again, perfectly imperfect, right? That's the way things show up. And mm -hmm. Neil, I credit with the very first personal development book I ever read was The Game. Not mm -hmm. that I you know, was even interested in personal development, but that was kind of the gateway drug. Is like, I didn't mm -hmm. want to be a pickup artist. Like, that's mm -hmm. what that was about. It's about pickup artists. I was just like flabbergasted at the idea I could talk to a girl. That was a big deal for me. I didn't grow up around any women and I had no experience in that. So when I was like 19 and a virgin and I read that book and I'm like, wait a second, there's people out there that have mastered this skill. It mm -hmm. made me realize that, oh my God, I can do something like this too. It gave me an option for my life that up until then I had never considered. And then later on going through all my personal development journey with Tony Robbins and Landmark and all these different things, NLP and hypnotherapy and starting to unpack all that stuff that was driving me, all that trauma and whatnot was really effective at um, just showing me how how jacked up I was in the past, how my personality shifted and my values have shifted now, and what the pieces of that are so that other people can benefit from that as well. Like I can really see with a lot of empathy where people are coming from through the lens of what they've gone through. And we continue to go through because life is just a series of experiences and a lot of them are traumatic and we never process any of them. So a lot of the work you do is really beneficial for people under the right guidance. And the work I've done as well, both off-label and on-label prescriptions, uh, have been really effective for me in clearing that stuff and creating a base from which I have capacity to serve others and to to be compassionate towards others. So if you haven't done that work, you have no idea. You're just running around this big, you know, open nerve of traumas and reacting to everything. But once you've done that work, you have a little more space to to cope with that and help others too as well. Mm. What would you say? But someone who is listening to this, they, they're, they're hearing, wow, you know, go to Africa, you know, go to North Korea, you know, do all these crazy stuff, waterboarding, but society sounds really fascinating. Almost, as you said, the James Bond lifestyle, right? Um, but what would you say is the real value of being in a mastermind, being in a proximity of those who are vibing, who have the same values? Yeah, so... I think all those are fun stories, but they don't define who you are. I think the real moments are the work you do on making different choices than you made before to get different results on your life. Because the easiest thing for humans to do is to drift and stay in their comfort zone. It's like the way we're wired, really, is to conserve energy, stay safe. Our ego keeps us in a little box that we hopefully don't go across. And what I loved about all these people that I met over the years that you consider my heroes, and I think a lot of people might was that they were always pushing the edges of their comfort zone. So the biggest thing that I learned was just keep pushing and expanding this idea of what you are and what you're capable of. So I, I have a, basically a mandate. Like if I'm scared of something, I got to at least try it. 
And that's led to a lot of things that I would never, I could never picture my life having the quality it does without. And it's led to a lot of things that I'd never do again. But I'm glad I did them because I don't want to live with the regret. I'd rather live with the story and the experience and the even the traumatic stuff than the regret of never having tried. What's an example of that actually before we move on to the lessons? Uh, so one example is motorcycles. Like I used to be deathly afraid of getting on a motorcycle. Now it's my preferred mode of transport. I have a little scooter for around town and I have a motorcycle. And mm-hmm. however you feel about motorcycles, if it wasn't in my life, I, w- I don't know what I would have been missing. It's such an enjoyable part of my life. Mm-hmm. And it all started out as something I was very afraid of. And, and would like judge other people be like, you're crazy for getting on that thing. And now I get it. <laughs> That's a good example. What's another one? Drugs. I used to be really judgy about drugs. I'm a child of an alcoholic. I never wanted to, to get involved in any of that. I quit drinking with some success for, for a long time. Had a few back and forth things. I think I've been off it now about three and a half, four years, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I uh, would never like try any kind of hallucinogenics. I would never get involved with that. And I got introduced to the Burning Man community where that stuff is kind of commonplace and it's a little more, there's a little more care taken, at least in the communities. I'm not saying go to any dude at Burning Man and ask for drugs, but in those communities, there's people that really understand the stuff at a high level and can do it safely and, and create a supportive environment. So my experiences with that have really opened me up to different levels of, of impact that even the most astute development work, personal development work can't touch like MDMA yep. therapy is off the charts for me. It was such a big deal for me. Uh, And then without drugs, like EMDR, is that what it's called? With the light? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was fascinating. I did too many sessions in too short a time against the advice of the therapist. And I would recommend, like, if you do EMDR, it's more powerful than you realize and you need to take time off, like at least a couple weeks off in between sessions. I did four sessions in two weeks, 90 Mm -hmm. minutes, way too much too soon. And then my whole life unraveled for the better overall, but too painful of a transition. So mm-hmm. uh, it's like you have a, a conscious grip of reality, but then when that dissolves and there's stuff happening underneath and you're no longer able to cope with that, or there's too much being surfaced at once, there's too many memories being processed. Like I processed my entire timeline my whole life, three decades in two weeks. It was too much to process all at once. You need to like take a chunk, bite it off, chew it, finish your meal, take another chunk, relax and rest. So stuff like that, NLP master prac was huge for me, hypnotherapy and learning about all that and then actually doing it on a number of other people. I don't practice professionally anymore because it just takes up a lot of time, but it's the most powerful work I've ever done. So like if people are listening at home and they're just looking for stuff to check out, I can't obviously recommend drugs, right? That's that's a very personal choice. It can be a very dangerous choice if you're not supervised and you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's there's a whole bunch of things that we just don't know, right? So I'm mm-hmm. not telling you to make that choice for yourself, but Anything that doesn't require direct intervention or, or chemical changes to your brain chemistry, like I would absolutely give it a shot because what's the downside? The upside is you lose a piece of baggage that's been holding you back. The upside is, is, is tangible and it's worked a lot for me and I can only tell you what I've done, but I would keep going down those roads. And if you have the right access to the right people and the right guidance, then I think society's starting to come around to psilocybin and LSD and MDMA, especially for, for therapeutic benefits. Yeah, for sure. I would say on the broad level, I mean, as a scientist, as a former technologist engineer, I would say any of these transformational modalities, even as something as mundane as like an ice bath, as an example, right? That's super basic. At the same time, uh, there's always some kind of uh, quote unquote risk or exposure involved, right? Because even as something like a Vipassana 10 day retreat, you just sit there, do nothing. You just sit there for 10 days. Some people have really delicate psyche and then they come out, as you said earlier, in their life unravel because whatever they saw or their, their, their psyche were really, really delicate. So it's, it's a lot of it depends on your own discernment. So for those people who are even interested in exploring all these different kind of beautiful transformational modalities is exercise your discernment. Yes, hundred percent. And just go slow. Yeah. Start small, go slow. Yeah, you know, get a comfort level and then expand from there. And, and there's no reason to go pedal to the metal all at once. And people have a tendency to make light of, of things like this. I, I don't think there's a, a good reason to, to go fast. Enjoy, savor, get what you get out of it, journal a lot, process a lot, rest a lot, and then go back to it. At the end of the day, when it comes down to it, the way I, I think about it is in statistics, they call it what's the expected value, right? What is the probabilistic payoff? Minus what's the probabilistic cost. Hmm. And at the end of that, you get net net 
positive or net net negative or net net neutral, then then you can make a decision accordingly. So that's kind of how, how I think about it. Hundred percent. Yeah, beautiful. So, so you've done all this mastermind. You've experienced it, partaking thirty, which is a lot. And then when did you make a switch and saying, "Hey, I can do this. I can I can be a curator to help others, and I can actually be a curator of masterminds myself." 100%. So it happened around the time I got into Tony Robbins. Now I've been to like 15 Tony events. I've met him. I'm going to spend time in Fiji as private islands, a uh, resort called Namali, either late this year or late, early next year, depending on COVID and how everything goes. I'm a top affiliate. I've worked with him and Dean on, on their project, mastermind.com. And I'm not saying any of this to brag or impress, but just to impress upon you, like I, I understand this really well. And where it all started, even before any of that was an idea that they had, was with being at his event, I met uh, one of his coaches, a woman named Delina Fajardo, who we were dating at the time, and we ended up starting a mastermind together. And she was really sharp. Um, she understood Tony's process. She had been to like 40 of his events or some crazy thing. And we started this, this kind of brand merging. It was abundance and purpose. So she was the purpose coach, helped find people's purpose. And I was the make more marbles guy, the abundance guy, right? So abundant purpose mastermind. We started it out very cheap, uh, way too cheap, like 50 bucks a month or something, and ran it for a year. And it went pretty well. And we started raising our prices over time. We actually 10x our pricing over time and just kept rolling with that. We wrote a book as a mastermind together, which is really interesting and fun. And I just realized like, okay, there's not that much to this. I can do this. I love this model. It's consistent. It's monthly. The people that are showing up are really great. And I just realized like I could create masterminds to learn things too. For example, I really wanted to learn about Amazon. I met a guy at a conference named Michael Quinn who was really crushing on Amazon. He was doing like $100,000 a month, maybe four or five years ago. And he had been at it for a while. And I asked him, man, like, can you teach me how you're doing this? Because you're, you're making seven figures working five, 10 hours a week. I'm like, this is great. He's like, yeah, it's like 30 grand to coach with me. I'm like, okay, yeah, I could spend 30 grand. But what if I asked him a question? It's like, what if you taught this to a bunch of people and brought the cost down for each person and brought the, uh, the impact up for everybody. Everybody takes better notes, ask better questions. We all go as a group. Maybe we all go to like China and Hong Kong, go to the product fairs, learn how to source products. You could teach us as more of an experience and have a lot of fun doing it, like a mastermind. And he said, yeah, okay, I'd be into that. And he had a you know pretty good following of people that you know couldn't afford to coach with them, but would be very interested in learning from them. So I took on all the work of like enrolling these people and putting them into this group. And we brought 52 people to China and Hong Kong. We did like a wow. two-week mastermind where we had training leading up to it. By the time people got on the ground, they were like, they knew what they were doing. Uh, and then he would like answer their questions and show them how it was done. And mm. we had a really great trip. And I got my trip paid for, I made some money, he made some money, ended up spending all on a boat party, which is really fun. But more importantly, I connected with a lot of people who wanted to do this also and mm. learned enough where we were able to, with a couple of partners, launch a marketing agency, an Amazon marketing agency that went from zero to 75K in six months. I ended up selling my share and moving on from that project. But it was just really powerful that somebody who didn't know anything about it was able to get paid to learn from an expert mm. and launch something in real time. Because that's really what masterminds can do is they can create incredible opportunities in short amounts of time, whether you're an expert or not, if you're committed to helping other people get the answers that they're seeking as well. So as long as you come from that, that space of abundance, that space of, I don't need to be the expert, I don't, I don't need to be like the guru, as long as you come from a place of like, I don't want to solve people's problems and I want to learn and I want to grow and I want to earn and, and all these things, like you can make it all happen. So that's, you know, kind of the premise of my book is, is the eight minute mastermind. And that refers to the length of the hot seat, which mm -hmm. is how to travel anywhere for free at a hundred thousand dollars to your business in five, 10 hours a month to solve any problem that your business can come up with. Cause it's really important that people understand they have this incredible opportunity to learn if they're just willing to think outside the box a little bit. And uh, if you don't mind, I can share, uh, we have like a free plus shipping offer. If you guys want to check yeah, it out, it. yeah. it's at eight minute mastermind.com. There's also three free bonuses. When you go to check it out, even if you don't grab the book, we have 101 questions for mastermind facilitators. So that's a cool little download. We have a mastermind cheat sheet. And then we also have 50 recordings of me doing hot seats. It's called the eight minute mastermind. So they're about eight to 10 minutes long and you can learn like, okay, this is what a mastermind really is. This is about how to get clarity and solve problems in the shortest possible time and move people through the various stages of that. And you can hear me do it. So if you want to check that out, it's 8minutemastermind.com. That's my latest book. I'm also working on one on money. I used to run a hedge fund that was fairly successful. And we have another one on marketing coming out next year. Yeah, that's really good. So I actually talked to a lot of people and they're 
because、uh, people who are like-minded they they gather right. So they're like me. They're curious. They're 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 they're、uh, they want to support others. They love the process of self-discovery and self-exploration. They are interested in impact. So whoever is listening, definitely check out、uh, Brad's book. Yeah, you've so, been to masterminds. You've actually participated in one when we did them at Cardiff Seaside Market. What did you think of the experience? Just to give everybody a sense. Oh, I thought it was really great. It was very mutually empowering. Everyone was very eager to to contribute, to help. And actually, for me, the value of mastermind is not necessarily I'm not gonna get a magic bullet. That's not the intention. For me, it's the diversity of perspective, such、mm-hmm. that I can actually explore what I don't know that I don't know. Now, a lot of times, since I, I read so much, I learn so much, and I do these type of interviews all the time. So it's rare that I, I hear something that I never heard before. However, because the way it's delivered, because the person who the messenger who's delivering on top of their stories or whatever, I may hear the same thing in a different way, and that actually deepens my own understanding of something that allows me to see certain. Um, blind spots. So I'm a fan of Mastermind for sure. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, it's a huge tool. I didn't mean to get off topic. I just wanted to get a sense of what you thought because we met that one time, we hung out, and then we haven't because of COVID. Unfortunately, been able to hang out since. But I'm grateful that you got to experience it before we had to go virtual. <laughs> totally. Now, so so there's a lot of different directions、uh, that I can go, but I would say for someone who wants this type of engagements,、right? rather than just reading a book, joining your masterminds, etc. One question that may show up may be,、mm, "I'm kind of an introvert. I don't know if I want to be a part of this, or I'm kind of an introvert. I don't know if I I want it, but I don't know necessarily I have what it takes to start one." What would you say to that person? Yeah, I actually have a lot of clients who are introverts, and that's a great question. I mean, you have to honor your energy. You have to honor how you relate to the world. I'm getting more introverted as I get older, so you know. <laughs> I've been a natural introvert most of my life, and or extrovert most of my life, and I'm getting more introverted as time goes on. And my girlfriend's an introvert, so I understand like the real difficulty that comes through. So I'll just share a quick story. We were out on our scooter. We went to the farmers market the other night, or Sunday rather, and I went to just drop something off at my friends right after. And then you know, we're in the driveway. I'm chatting. She's waiting out by the scooter. I'm like, just come in, come say hi, and it's like no big deal to me. And she's like, I just need I need like time to like get into extrovert mode.、And、I'm like, really? Like you can't just say hi to somebody and Then we leave, <laughs> and like for me, it's it's it feels like no big deal. For her, it's like it's it's work to it energy. Yeah, it takes real energy. So she just needs to be prepared, and she actually was able to explain to me what it's like. So I get it to some extent. She actually started out as my client. She was running two masterminds when I met her, and and we got them to triple their revenue and and decrease her working hours from like eighty hours a week to thirty hours a week after a couple of months working together. But the biggest lesson for me is. Honor your energy, honor your style, and your focus. It doesn't mean you can't run one. You just have to be more prepared. Maybe know what you're going to say, know what you're going to do. You're not going to be the kind of person that's going to want to wing it. You probably want to rely on experts even more, even if you are the model of expertise, and have your content structured so it's not like a bunch of rapid fire、uh, questions. Some of the most effective entrepreneurs and mastermind runners I've ever been to, Sam Ovens, and, and like these kind of people. Uh, are very introverted, so it's absolutely possible to run one. You might just rely on the structure a little more, and you might not be as able to or willing to do all the networking, the glad handing, and everything afterwards. And then just protect your energy the best you can. Just understand that you have limitations that maybe some other people wouldn't have with that, and just make sure you have the time to care for yourself. Maybe schedule in a massage, maybe schedule in some body work or some quiet time or some meditation. Like we always have meditation rooms at our masterminds when we do them in person. You could just implement that as well. Or keep it virtual, so it's not your whole schedule, and then you just choose the times you're going to be on. That would be some of my advice for more introverted folks, and maybe find some introverted mentors to model.、Mm. There's a lot of them out there that you wouldn't even believe it. They're so introverted, like painfully shy, but they're huge names, and they've learned to speak and they've learned to share their message in a way that is it works with their nature, and it also gets the job done. Well, so so Sam Oven, who who else? Yeah, yeah. So like Sam Oven. I think James Wedmore、uh, is pretty big introvert. Brendan Burchard strikes me as a little bit of a closet introvert. There's definitely a lot of introverts out there that are just crushing it in this extroverted online space.、Mm, interesting. Okay, so what? I, okay, so so now I've decided. I've listened to Brad. I'm I'm gonna start one. What would be some of his? When you think about masterminds, you think like, "Holy shit!" You ten, twenty, fifteen, whatever number of people. There's a lot of pressure. I gotta be a professional. All these things. What is the smallest, the the lowest risk way to start one? Yeah, your- 
if you just start with the hot seats, it's not on you. You just facilitate and keep it moving. You keep the time. You make sure people don't get too long-winded. You make sure that everybody feels supported. It's not really about you being the center of the attention. In fact, if you're doing it right, you're kind of in the background a little bit. So versus going on a huge stage of 500 people and giving a speech, it's a very different experience. So for for people who are really looking for a way to increase their impact and income in a short amount of time, I would absolutely try it. You could do a one-off, right? You could do a half-day mastermind. You could do a two-day mastermind and just see what it's like in reality before you make up a story about it in your head, right? You can do anything two days. I just like to try things personally, and I encourage people to try it as well. I don't want them to make up a story. Like people tell me, I don't like sushi. I say, have you tried sushi? They said, no. I say, all right, you get to try it. And then if you don't like it, you don't like it. But you can't not like it. You can't not try it and say you don't like it before you've had an experience. That's a really, really good point. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think uh, a lot of times this this uh, ideas that we have, this inner resistance that we feel is a whole lot more, make a mountain out of a molehill, so to speak. Exactly. Right? Like your, my motorcycle, if, if I'd never just gotten over it and tried it, I would never you know, have the experience I have now and, and love it so much. Mm. Okay, so looking at your own journey, knowing what you know now, do you feel that for the people who are starting this journey, they have to go through similarly charging very little to charging more and no, more. No, I, I made a lot of mistakes early on, which is why I do what I do. I help people to kind of skip that. Uh, I would have done way more market research. I would have gotten better at crafting offers and selling. And I would have followed a formula really that helped do it. And, and really like, we don't just teach people about masterminds. We teach people how to build a business from scratch, right? We teach people how to do market research, have conversations, sell in a way that has integrity and or sell it before you build it. Because you don't want to build something and spend a ton of time and energy on. I'll just give two quick examples. I spent $45,000 on my first internet business back in 2011. And I failed miserably because I didn't know what I didn't know. And then when I went after it again, because I got into real estate. Can you underline some of the mistakes? I was focused on everything but doing the actual work, which is finding a product market fit. So I was a real estate uh, agent in New York City. And back then, the real estate game in New York was dominated by brokers and you had to pay these giant fees and the, the landlords loved it because they got free labor out of the agents and the, and the agents loved it because they got big commission checks. But guess who hated it was the customers, right? The actual renters hated it. They hated the system. They wanted it a different way. So I knew there was a pain and a problem, but I hadn't like connected to what they really wanted. So I created a course, like how to find your own New York City apartment. I'm like, I'll, I'll put up a website. I'll just, I'll, I'll promote it on Craigslist. And I didn't, I, like it was a solid idea and there was nothing else like it at the time, but I didn't test it. I didn't find the market product market fit. I didn't test the marketing of it either because my whole plan was to get it on Craigslist, which guess what? Their entire funding was coming from real estate agents paying $10 per ad per day, right? That was their bread and butter. They were making all kinds of money on it. They didn't want me advertising a competing product on there and they shut me down without recourse. Mm. I realized like after a bunch of begging and pleading to let them get me back on that I wasn't holding the keys to the kingdom. I didn't have the audience. So mm. it was a great idea. But at that point, I already sunk so much money into it. I had built the course. I had done all these things. I could have tested it out with a couple of ads and see how it went and like pre-sold it and then refunded people if it didn't work out mm. or I did anything. And that's kind of the, the way I do it now. So I did everything in backwards order. Now, if I have an idea, I want to rule it out as fast as possible. I want to find the reason it's not going to work as fast as possible. But when you're young and you have an ego and everything's tied up in your sense of identity and self-worth mm -hmm. over the idea that you had, which may or may not be a good idea. Everybody asked me, is this a good idea? I said, I don't know. Ask the market. Mm -hmm. We teach you how to do that. So now after a few more failures like that, I just, I have this dial to the point where I've launched a couple hundred projects and I always start with the idea on paper and I go find 10, 15, 20, 25 people to sell it to. And if nobody buys it, that's a big red flag. Or if only a couple people buy it, it's a big red flag. So, so actually on that note, what are some of the uh, instances now we're getting into marketing realms, right? So what are some of the, with technology that we have, what are some of the fastest way to test ideas for those who are listening, who sure. are reinventing themselves, who may have an idea and inspire idea from their purpose, right? What are some of the rapid ways that they can test their ideas? So we have a whole program that outlines all this, but I'll give the high points. The first thing is to dream it, right? Just get it all on paper. What's your best idea? And I call it a hypothesis, right? You're a scientist, you get it. 
it's your best idea and you're going to test it out in the marketplace and you test it by selling it. And the first thing you do is you get on market research calls because you want to find any holes in your idea. And you ask a series of questions. There's about 12 that we ask typically questions such as what's a present persistent problem that you've had for a long time. I borrowed this from my buddy, Dan Maxwell. Well, how are you solving now? What happens if you don't solve it? If I could wave a magic wand, what would the solution look like or how would it work? And would that be something you'd be willing to pay for? and solve. And then I ask a bunch of emotional questions. Like, what are your top frustrations? What are your, what are you angry about? Who are you angry at? What are you um, excited about? What's your dream or desire or goal or whatever? I just try to get a sense of all of that so I can create messaging and copy later. And then when you have those calls, you get, gather all that data, then you can easily transition to, hey, I don't have anything for sale yet. This isn't a sales call, as I said, but could we have a chat when I have an offer in place to solve this problem? Is that something you'd be interested in? Or would that be of value to you or not? And if people opt in at that point, then that's an easy way to transition to a sales call. And then you schedule another time. So depending on what you're selling, you know, that's more of a high ticket strategy because you want to have more high touch. You want to really get deep into what people's problems are. But with a, a low price product, something up to maybe a few hundred dollars, it'd be really easy to run traffic to a page that sells that product, pre-sells it or run a Kickstarter and gather enough data to say, okay, we sent a thousand people this page and we had this many purchases, is that good or bad? Like, what is the ultimate outcome that we're looking for? 10% conversion rate, I think would be pretty damn good on the internet. Uh, but if you're not converting at all, then that's a big red flag. You got to find out why or jettison the project. Mm, I like it. Thank you. So you're the abundance guy, right? Bring back to the, the mastermind that you and your ex-girlfriend did together. She was the purpose, you were the abundance guy. So what you just share with us is the mechanics of abundance, shall we say? Yeah, and, and getting to that answer as quickly as possible is, is everything, because you don't want to lose momentum. That's the worst thing you can do as an entrepreneur is lose momentum, because then you get into a, like a cycle of down, being down on yourself. Like, oh, I can't make anything work. No, you just haven't found the thing yet. When you find the thing, it works. That's the key, but don't, don't give up. Let's go, go on the, the purpose side, the internal mentality side of things. I was speaking to, I, I would often speak to overachievers and they want to build this big thing, right? They're looking at their mentors and then say, I want to do that thing. Or I want to do that thing that I used to do, billion dollar industry or whatever, right? They're the past success. And if I don't do that, I'm a failure. It says it's a one or a zero type of mentality. Mm -hmm. And I was encouraging them to actually break it down. When you get to a, a atomic unit of fulfillment, like find the thing that you enjoy, however small it may be, you can always do incrementally versus setting this huge thing. If I don't achieve this huge thing, then you have uh, a failure. So what would you say to someone on the psychology side of things? Hey, I just wanted to go big or go home. I don't want to do these type of little incremental tests as a way to find my groove. I think Bill Gates said it best, multiplying inefficiencies just creates more inefficiency. It, it just increases inefficiency exponentially. Mm. So getting it right, nailing it before you scale it is paramount. Sure, you could go throw a bunch of capital at it if you have it. You could throw a bunch of time at it if you have it. But we generally have limited resources as humans. We have limited time, energy, attention, and money. You have to decide how you're going to utilize and, and deploy those resources and that capital. And once you spent it, especially the time part, it's gone forever. And if you keep spending money poorly, you're going to be out of money. And people aren't going to write you checks anymore to try out your new venture. So part of the trick of entrepreneurship is to get that, that product market fit as quickly as possible. I think that's like more than half the work, in my opinion, is just getting the right product market fit. Because you can scale a company easily that has the right product market fit. But if you don't, then you're going to, a lot of things you're going to do are going to struggle. Getting the yeah. offer rate is just paramount. Yeah. So, so there's product market fit, but there's also founder market product fit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, this, so, this could be a great idea, but are you the right person to bring it to the world? Right. So let's talk about more on the purpose side, the core value side of things. So for you, you had mentioned, hey, I did this thing, many things with Tony Robbins. Now I, I have an opportunity to do it with my ex-girlfriend to actually start something, right? That was uh, serendipity. That was opportunistic, but something within you clicked and said, I'm going to continue to do this. Can you walk us through some of the processes that you have for you personally or for, or for your clients, perhaps, to actually help them find that founder market fit? Yeah, so in, a, in addition to the calls that I talked about, I mean, there's, there's research you can do. It's kind of, I like to be in it with people and really ask them the questions mm -hmm. uh, because I get better answers. 
than if I Google it, right? Because there's so much noise out there. There's, it's just the world is full of noise. I want to talk to real people dealing with this every day. So that's what I encourage people to do as well. And that can be uncomfortable for some people, I understand. But you're going to get to the heart of the thing really quickly if you talk to 10 people who have that problem. So that's thing one. With regard to why am I the guy for masterminds, I think it was a question. I just feel like it's what I'm meant to do, at least at the stage of my life and, and to help people. Because I realized at one point, like I could start 100 masterminds maybe and, and impact thousands of people, but it's never going to be as big as the impact I could have if I help other people start masterminds. So hence the, the company and the book and everything that I've done with Tony and, and Dean in regards to that. It's such a powerful framework that I want more people to use. And they use it in ways that I would have never imagined. Like I have a guy with a mastermind for cops. This lady has a mastermind for horse owners. There's all these wonderful things, these niches that I would never, ever impact in my lifetime, 10 lifetimes. But now they're impacting as well. That's yeah. a really beautiful thing. And that's to your point, yeah, the opportunities are endless. There's so many people you can help solve so many different problems. You don't have to be the expert. It's so beautiful as far as a business model. And when you really find that thing that clicks with people, you can scale it. Clients with hundreds of clients. It's great. And they, they just keep coming fast and furious. They get ads going and it's just crazy. I have one client that spends a dollar and makes $9 on Instagram right now because his niche is just so cool. It's like New Zealand cops. Mm. That's a very specific group of people. Yeah. And he's able to do really well with it. Mm, I love that. So let me actually recap some of the things I heard. Okay. So why I, I heard that you like is was well, a scalable model. You enjoy the interaction, whether you can be the guru providing answers or you can just be the interviewer holding the space for them, right? You enjoy the, the leverage impact you get to make. You're now helping others creating masterminds. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's certainly the, the, uh, the residual the subscription, the monthly subscription that comes with that yeah, as well. Way to get your cash flow in order too. A lot of coaches are on the feast and famine wheel. They spend all their time marketing and selling, and then all of a sudden they have to deliver. And then by the time they're done delivering, they're out of money again, and they have to start all over. So I really recommend that people find some way, whether it be a membership, a mastermind, some sort of ongoing way to generate revenue, subscription services. Like I'm really getting kick out of seeing all these like Peloton type things that they're coming out with. Mm -hmm. uh, the Muse headband is another example where it's a piece of hardware, mm -hmm. but there's also a software subscription or an app subscription. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. You have a shippable product that people want to buy. They can hold it in their hands. They can recommend it to friends. It looks cool in social media posts. It, it occupies physical space in their life, but there's also that ongoing re revenue component of it. I think mm. that's important. So that's kind of what I think I'm going to work on next. I would love to work on a tech product with some sort of recurring model subscription that solves a big problem that people have. Like when I got the Aura Ring, which is this little device here, if you're not familiar with it, it tracks your sleep and respiration, a bunch of other things. It helped me dial in my sleep because now all of a sudden I had data, which I could act on. And I could see a cause and effect relationship between the things I was doing during the day and the sleep I was getting at night. And then I decided, okay, well, I want to meditate, but I suck at it. So Alex Sharfin showed me this muse thing and I went and got that. And it was the same deal. And it helped me get to the point where I'm meditating 30 minutes a day now. And I never thought I would get there. I just thought meditation wasn't for me. So I'd like to find and solve a problem like that. So I've been kind of keeping my, my feelers out for stuff like that. I'd love some ideas, actually, if you wanted to brainstorm. Like, what's a thing that everybody knows they should do and everybody sucks at? <laughs> and it would be hugely beneficial if they could just get it done. If they had some sort of feedback and data to track it would be a game changer for them. There's got to be one. Some sort of consumable product like that. That would be cool. Mm. Yeah, we should talk afterwards. Absolutely. You know, yeah, absolutely. Stuff that I get really excited about. Or marrying things with AI. You know, there's so many problems that can be solved better by, than com by computers and so many industries that are just waiting to be overturned by AI. And AI is getting really good. So finding something that you have some expertise in and, and adding uh, the AI vector to it could be a really strong uh, play for the next 10 years as well. Yeah. So let me refer to Dane's model because he said it so beautifully. So I wanted to, to, to borrow that. He said, this is really simple. Simple, uh, you, can, you can simplify into three components, customer, a end result they want, and also the mechanism to fulfill that where they are and where they want to be, right? Most entrepreneurs focus on the mechanism part. They fall in love with their widget versus falling in love with the customers and as well as you know, helping them get to their end state, get really clear about those things. The rest is easy. For me, that, that makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> so 
I was asking you the questions about the founder market fit. One of the things I recommend my, my listeners to do a lot is these things called the airport test, right? Hey, if I ever stuck in, at the airport with this person for an hour to three hours, four hours, what's my gut reaction? Would I get excited or would I just get like, oh my God, I can't believe I got to spend time with this person. <laughs> right? So, so that's a very easy, uh, easy test. Another test I asked you to ask them to do is imagine now uh, it's called a conference test. Now imagine that your company takes off right now. You're you're conducting a convention of all these people. Again, what's your gut reaction to a convention hall full of your people? Are you like excited? You want to spend some time with them? Are you again? Like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm spending time with a thousand people like that. So these to me are a really good gut checks, the subjective reality what you are actually enjoying time spending with the customer. And I say this because at some point I was serving Rotarians and plumbers. And for me, I realized in hindsight that, that those were just people that I wouldn't, you know, really want to engage in a long, uh, if you know, they weren't paying you, you wouldn't have gotten into it in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Ideally, so, if you could find something that you could serve that you would do for free and get paid for it, like masterminds, I'd go for free. I love masterminds. So that yeah. really got me. I was like, oh shit, like this, maybe I should be the mastermind guy. I've been a part of so many. I spent so much money on them. How could I take what I've learned and make it easy for people to start their own? And that yeah. was when the idea was born. Now I'm not saying it's the best idea I ever had and the only idea I'll ever have. And I'm sure I'll have other projects, but that particular one has been really uh, fun for us. We've had a bunch of clients go through our program. New ones are rolling all the time. It's just, it's an exciting and fun business, but even I'll get bored of it. And I just know my, my way about things, you know? I'll stick with something for three or four years and I'll be like, okay, how do I systematize this and let other people step into my shoes? Because what happens is this is just important, I think, for anybody in any stage of their life. If you don't move on when you've mastered something and you've got to the point of saturation with a skill, you're really screwing three people. You're screwing yourself because you're not rising up and moving on to the thing that you're supposed to move on to next. Like you've gained all the experience and you sucked all the whatever you could out of that experience. You're screwing the person who could step into your shoes and take on that leadership position. So in my example, like my former clients, for example, I want to teach people and they're like chomping at the bit, like get me involved. I want to help. I can allow them to start to do that and train them and, and do that. And then you're screwing your future self, right? Because if you stay in a position that you've outgrown, then and not move into the next thing, then you're, you're robbing the world of your gifts in that regard. So I always try to think like, if I've been in a place for too long, regardless of whether I feel like I'm done, regardless of whether I feel like I'm, I'm the only person like I don't, that's how I keep myself from getting stuck is because I know I need to move and, and change in order to not screw three people. Yeah, totally. That's actually geek out about the, the learning model, if you don't mind, because you're, you're very enthusiastic uh, learners. For me, the purpose of life is learning. That's my life purpose. No matter what I do, I always want to learn. So the question I ask is what is the best way to learn? And what I have deduced for me personally is, well, I can learn from someone else, someone who is a few steps ahead of me. I can mastermind with someone who's walking beside me that I can teach someone who's walking a few steps behind me. For me, if I do all three, all at the same time, then I really are deepening my understanding of something, right? Okay. So that's how I have deduced it. What are some of your learning models as a way to really help you accelerate and explore what's possible for Braffer. Well, definitely. I call that uh, the 33% rule, right? 33% where you're at, 33% above, 33% below at your current level of skill and expertise. But I think also just the immersion piece is what I learned from Tony Robbins, immersion and spaced repetition. So when you learn something, you really want to go all in. You might want to spend two, three, five days just going all in. Could be weeks depending on the, the complexity of skill with the best possible people and teacher you can find full immersion and then as time goes on you'll eventually lose those skills unless you have spaced repetition so you got to commit to every two months three months six months whatever it is for that particular skill to go out and use it again so like when i learned how to ride a motorcycle i rode as much as i possibly could for that first year and now I ride a lot, but I don't ride nearly as much. Like I put thousands and thousands of miles on that first year because I want to get really comfortable. And I wanted to like get all the jitters out because I recognize and I understood. And this is the same thing when I was driving. I'm actually pretty good. When I come across a situation that's potentially hazardous, I don't freak out. I get really calm and I handle it. 
but that was trained into me after putting myself in so many hairy situations over the years where I just know not to freak out and I just react and I don't react in a way that's, that's detrimental. So whatever it is that you're learning, I think that is really important that, that full immersion at first, because you can learn a language over 10 years, you can learn it over 10 weeks. If you immerse, if you move to Spain, you can learn Spanish or if you move to Mexico and you, you yeah, out of necessity. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the sad things about the world is that it's becoming so easy to learn things that nobody's actually mastering things because the information is so accessible. It used to be you had to go out and seek it and find it and find the mentor and like really go through the hero's journey. And now you got to Google it. <laughs> and in the world of Google and YouTube and the information age, you would think everybody would be a shredded billionaire with a you know perfect relationship and a perfect family and everything would be amazing. But it's not true because people pay attention to what they pay for and what pays them. And there's that element of mastery that I think is, is being left behind. And the most successful people I know, yourself included, have really fallen in love with that idea of learning. Like they, whatever they do, they never want to stop learning. So whatever my business is, whatever my title is, whatever I'm involved with, I think my first goal as a human, I, it's like the three L's, it's leadership, love, and learning, right? I love that. Thank you for, for, for sharing that. My pleasure. Because we talk a lot about different things, right? Your experience with Tim Ferriss and your Strauss, mechanics of marketing. We talked about testing your ideas. We talked about learning models. There's a wide spectrum that, that we talked about. So for someone who's listening to this and, and they said to themselves, I'm really inspired by Brett's um, story and how he thinks, how fast he thinks. So what's one thing you would say for them? Hey, if you just take this one little nugget and then start practicing that as a atomic discipline that you take on. Write everything down. So I'll show you guys something. Here are. I have a very specific notebook that I buy. It's called Ecolo. It's a gilded 256 page notebook. And these are all my notebooks for the last three years. I don't know if you can see the dates. Whoa. That's everything from 2017 to, I just opened a new one today and I write everything down. This is every interview, every meeting, every sales call, every, everything with the dates. And I make sure that I write it down because I, I ingrained it in my brain that way. I'm a visual person. If you tell it to me and I don't write it down, I'll forget it. I'll even do this with like, I have a little moleskin that I walk around with when I'm at meetings and stuff. And I'll just make sure that I've written everybody's name down. Because otherwise I'll forget because it's not on their freaking forehead. I'll tell you that much. And if, if you told it to me and I forget, I apologize, but I do my very best to work in the medium that I'm, I'm understanding. So like visual, auditory, kinesthetic, you got to learn your learning style and then play to your strengths. For me, it's all visual. I got to write everything down. So these notes are, are everything for me. And then when I go through a book, I'll take a few minutes and I'll just flip through it and I'll mark any pages where there's, there's something that might be valuable in the future. And I'll put like a little, you know, note or clip it or write it down again, just to remind myself of it, review it. I'll put a paper clip or uh, fold the page, whatever it is, just whatever your system is that works. And I write notes everywhere. I write notes online, offline. The writing, the physical writing act has been so valuable for me. And I have a five minute journal as well. So I do five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night. And I switch it up too. I don't keep my morning routine the same. So there's like that, there's meditation, there's exercise, there's all these different pieces, incantations, running. There's all these things I do just to put myself in the right frame of mind so that I can learn my best. I can be my best and I can, I can do my best for myself. And that's a little bit of a quiz. You have to figure out for yourself what your best way to do it is, but I can give you a few ideas. Yeah, I love that. Well, let's talk about that for just a moment, if you mind, because you're talking to someone who's a geek about workflow as well. I realized that for me, I take notes constantly, but that's my attempt to capture stream of consciousness effectively. How do I package up my stream of consciousness? I wrote but, down uh, for this note, I wrote down the airport test and the conference test. So I'm, I'm always rising. Hey, I, I'm awesome. That, that's awesome. That, that's very flattering. Thank you. What I realized though, is I rarely revisit the notes that I made. So it's, it's valuable, the fact of writing it down, but it, the, the actual physical artifact of it was, was actually not very useful. Right. And then I came across this um, interesting idea called intermediary packets. So Google, it if you want, and, and in it, they were saying how in computer science, they write these subroutines as a way to, you don't need to continue to write code from scratch. You can just reuse these subroutines as a way to 
accelerate the creative process doing computer programming, right? So similarly, what if you have ideas that you can pull out that's already developed in its own subroutine form called intermediary packets, then you can very quickly build holistic ideas, right? Or mental models. Yeah, right, so exactly. So, so that's one form of intermediary packets. So there's this guy, he wrote a beautiful book called How to, How to Take Smart Notes, I believe. That's what it's called. And he, they were essentially making a documentary of this guy's method of workflow. He, in his lifetime, he was not a learned man. And then in his lifetime, he became a, a sociology uh, professor. He wrote 60 academic books. He wrote 600 academic papers. Oh my God. It's insane how how prolific this guy was. I don't read hundred academic papers, let alone write them. <laughs> yeah, right. And then he, and but here's the thing: he didn't just write those books in one topic. He wrote wow. about society, relationships, on money, just a wide variety of topics. Point being, this method note taking is such a beautiful uh, skill to have in a way to package your consciousness into something that people, someone else, can actually can use. So anyway, not to, as you can imagine, I'm very passionate about. Oh, absolutely. Well, and, and that's, this is how ideas are Genesis. You know, this is the Genesis and origin of all ideas. It's like, how do we make the experience of taking notes even better? So like yeah. Evernote got a piece of it, right. And Google drive got a piece of it, right. They have that app that Evernote yeah. called scannable. You can scan your notes. That's really helpful. And then you can search your own text. That was really cool. Yeah. Um, I'm geeked out on all these rocket notebooks, the one where it's like the special ink that you put in the, you, you upload it to the cloud and then you you microwave the book itself and it, it deletes all the ink and you start over. Like that was, I was geeking out on that for a while. And then yeah. eventually I settled on my my tried and true favorite, which is my little physical books. They fit in my notebook. They fit wherever I want to go. And yeah. uh, I geek out on that. Uh, and then my other system is, I'll just give a little extra value here. My index cards. So I got this from Tim. Uh, write your priorities on an index card, no more than three to five every day and rip it up at the end of the day. And then if it's longer term than that, and it's a project or something I got to look at later, I have post-it notes and I have a system for my post-it notes. These are industrial grade, extreme sticky post-it notes. They like they work on freaking brick and drywall and anywhere you want to put them and they unstick yeah. and restick. So I use what, them as- like, what, what are the names for those post-its? So these are called extreme post-it notes. They're made oh, by- Got it. Got it. Right. Uh, they're just really high quality material. And what I do is I have three different codes for my saw, right? So if it's green, means I'm doing it myself and nobody's going to help me. If it's yellow, it means I'm collaborating with somebody, but I'm still involved. And then if it's orange, it means I'm delegating it completely. So I might have a meeting about it, but I, it's off my plate completely. Mm. So, and then I know based on how many green, yellow, or orange post-it notes, I can give myself a quick grade visually on like how much am I delegating versus how much am I actually taking on myself and adjust accordingly. Mm -hmm. Because that's another thing I learned from Nathan Hirsch uh, he's a big VA guy. He built a huge eight-figure company off the back of VAs, no paid advertising, and sold it. And he says he will never do anything for more than 90 days uh, before he outsources it. That's his time limit. He's got to figure out a way to outsource it in 90 days or less. Mm. I love that. I'd love to interview that guy. I'll introduce you. He's awesome. Yeah, very good, man. Uh, check out this tool. So for the listeners, this is a tool that I geek about these days called Rome Research. Rome, let me tell you why I love it right now. Part of the issue, I try a number of different ways to capture my consciousness, right? All kinds of different experiments. I even built my own website as a way to try to track my ideas very freely. The problem is bi-directional linking. So whenever I take notes, that's that. It's a holistic thing. If I want to take on another project, another idea, I need to start from scratch again, right? What Rome did to me was uh, really revolutionary, actually. It's so simple, but so revolutionary is, is you can link documents to documents very easily, very um, effortlessly. And they also allow you to see the graphical, um, imagine there's a, a network in front of you, uh, a neural net in front of you. You can see the intersections of all your ideas. And you can link that, you can, you can find those things yourself. You can also see it. It will also suggest the linkage that it has for you. And if you think about the nature of creativity is in the intersection of ideas, that to me is a beautiful uh, feature. 
So that's why like a mind map on steroids. Totally. Totally. Rome research. You reminded me of another one that I've used uh, with some success called workflowy. Yeah. That's a good one too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so Rome research has a workflowy interface. Oh, cool. 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 So it's very easy to use. Anyways, check it out. You'll love it. I don't want to overload people with stuff. I just <laughs> a few examples and options that I use that are very effective because it's not about doing more stuff. It's about doing yeah. the right stuff at the right time consistently. So totally. I tell all my clients and everybody, like, if you can do three things, three things that actually move the ball forward, they're actually high, high impact every single day. Even if you only work five days a week, that's 750 things a year that are actually moving the ball forward in your business or in your life. And if you just did that, you'd be way more productive than 95% of other people out there. I, hands down. And then anything else you get done is a bonus. But those three things, as long as you're consistent about those. So I don't take calls in the morning. I don't talk to anybody until my three things are done. And I typically write them out the night before. Uh, I'm, I'm just dead to the world. And then that's how I maintain productivity. That's how I keep all my products moving. That's how I write books so fast. That's how I, I get it done because I block the time. Mm. I, I do it when I'm fresh. So then anything like errands, either it's off my plate completely or it's at the very end of the day. You know, I don't do shopping for myself anymore. I don't do errands for myself anymore. I don't like do my own laundry or, or you know, it didn't start out that way. I didn't have the budget for it. But now that I have the budget for it, I'm absolutely going to get all that stuff off my plate. That's just not high impact. Love it. Very good. Well, my friend, uh, let's jam again. Part two at some point. Okay. Let's you follow up. Format. You're an incredible interviewer. I just want to say I'm so grateful to everybody for listening. Uh, and I hope you got something really valuable out of this. I would be really grateful if you check out my book. It's at 8minutemastermind.com. There's also free bonuses. If you don't want to pay for anything, you're more than welcome to just grab those. There's a 101 questions for mastermind facilitators, 50 recordings, and a mastermind cheat sheet for you. And we'd love to have you in our community and keep in touch and let us know how we can be a support to you. Whether you're uh, building a mastermind, whether you're looking for better ways to invest your money, or uh, you're looking for better ways to market yourself and get your mindset in order. All the M's that make more marbles. We want to <laughs> love it. All right, my friends. Take care. Cheers.